It's a great privilege to be preaching once again. I feel like I've missed it these last two weeks as we have been spoiled by just uh, two amazing couples who've come and ministered. Bless you, my love. And just uh, been ministered to over the last uh, couple of weeks. And so this morning, we haven't started a new preaching journey, and so I was pondering, Lord, what is it that you want me to share on this morning? And, and I was originally planning on pulling out some of the things that, that the guys, the apostolic team guys spoke about to massage them in a bit further, but also thinking about tomorrow. Now, I have to be honest, at a testimony level, the more we've prayed for our city and for our region, the more burdened I've become for the new government that's going to be ruling, for our new mayor, for that council. I'm, we're taking it more and more personally. Lord, you've placed us here in the city for a reason. And so actually what I want to talk about for a couple of minutes this morning is that I've just carried on with our little theme, and I want to talk about reframing democracy. Now, right up front, I'm not a political kind of person at all. So I'm not even pushing one party or another at all. But rather, I've been praying earnestly, saying, Lord, I don't know who to vote for tomorrow. I really want to extend your kingdom. I want to do your will. Uh, Do I vote for this party? I don't like some of what they do. Do I vote for this party? They seem a little bit small to make a difference. How do I vote? Interestingly, as I was seeking the Lord more and more about how to vote, it's as if God reframed my perspective on democracy. And so all I want to do is just go to the Word of God this morning and just share something of the things that God has been sharing to me. Now, the big perception, and this is the heart of the reframing, and in my mind I went into this time of praying, seeking the Lord, with a, with a perception that we get sort of one opportunity every four or five years to really influence the government. In other words, when we go to that voting station, and I hope you're going to be voting tomorrow, that's our chance to influence the government. And of course, the big reframing moment, I was praying, Lord, this is the moment where we carry influence. I suddenly realized, actually, one, democracy is not even in the Bible. Well, it is, but, well, one of the first democracies we see was when Jesus was crucified. Pilate went to the people and said, who do you want to be released? Who do you want crucified? Let's vote. Guess how that vote went? Exactly. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of these two candidates do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I then do with Jesus who's called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. So the Bible's not really so big on democracy. (laughs) What's my point? My point is actually, there's not one kind of political system or another. The only true political system that God endorses is a theocracy, where actually it's God who reigns through his people here on earth. But really the reframing that I want to talk about today is, is I realized we don't get one chance every four or five years to influence the government. We, as sons and daughters of God, actually get to vote continually. I want to share with you three instruments of influence that you and I, as children of God, have over the government that we are under. And I want you to take this to heart today, because otherwise we can feel like victims. We're victims to the government that we have, or we think we've got only one opportunity every four or five years to make a difference. That's not true according to Scripture. God has given us instruments of influence over the government that we're under, and I want to share that with you. Before I do, however, everything comes back to our revelation. 
Remember, we just reflect the revelation that we have of God. If you have a small revelation of God, you're going to live a small life in fear, worry, and anxiety. But as your revelation of God grows, so your confidence in God and your understanding of the impact and the potential we have in God grows as well. And so the revelation that I want us to grab hold of today is such a beautiful but such a basic one. It says of Jesus who came to earth. He humbled himself. He was made in the form of a man. God made man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then the Bible tells us in Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11, Therefore God exalted him, this is talking about Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. I want to remind us that Jesus is not just the King, He is the King of Kings. In other words, you could say He's the King of presidents, of world leaders, of governors. Governors and world leaders are not the highest authority they are answerable to a king. Jesus is the king of kings. In other words, what that means is our presidents and our governments are one day answerable to a higher power. When you have that revelation, it puts inside of our hearts a sense of peace. I may not always like them or agree with them, but this much I do know, they won't get away with stuff. Because they have a boss. They have someone, whether they know it or not, that they are answerable to. And when we have that as our understanding, it begins to put a faith and trust inside of us. We can trust you, Lord. You've got this. Now, that doesn't mean to say we get passive. On the contrary, what it means is we have at least three instruments of influence. Number one, and this is the obvious one, we don't just vote with a ballot paper. That's probably the, the least form of influence we have. We vote in prayer. I want to ask you, have you been voting in prayer? Someone once said, Christians get the government they deserve. Because we Christians are called to pray for our government. And if you're complaining more than you're praying, then just quietly with your head bowed, repent. Because the Bible says, do not complain about everything and do pray for your government all the time. So if you've fallen into the trap of just complaining about a government without praying for our government, don't blame the government, take it on the chest. And repent. Let me read to you uh, 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 4. Paul said this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority. It's interesting. The first on the list. He's saying, come on church, I'm urging you, be a people of prayer. First, pray for those in government over you. Not first pray for the pastor. I wish it said that. That doesn't. It doesn't say pray for the evangelist or the building project. It doesn't even say pray for your family first. It says pray for those who are in government over your lives. Have you been doing that? If you haven't, I'm asking you this morning, church, let's come into line with the word of God and recognize we are not victims in a land. We carry authority because we directly connected to the king of kings and he wants his authority working through our government for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Is that happening? It's not. In fact, we've come through a year of craziness, of protests. We've got all kinds of disruptions. That's not God's will. In other words, when God's will is not done, 
Christians don't say, well, if it's meant to be, it'll be rubbish. Jesus said, let my kingdom come. Pray, my will be done. That's why we pray. When we see a difference between what's happening and what Scripture says, we don't say it's meant to be, it'll be. No, no, we pray and say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Amen? In other words, the more we see a difference between God's word and our government, the more we should pray. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, this is the quote many of you have heard me share over the last couple of months from Derek Prince in a book called Secrets of a Prayer Warrior. He said, the Bible reveals that this world is not really ruled by presidents and governors and dictators. They only seem to rule. The people who really rule the world are those who know how to pray. I'm going to ask you, are you taking up this privileged position we have of being seated in Christ at the very throne of our God? Are we taking upon ourselves that mantle as sons and daughters who were created in God's image to rule and reign here on earth? Or are we being passive victims, complaining and blaming? Amen. I love you so much. Just... I suppose it's because we've been praying so much lately for our government. Come on, Lord, we want to see a breakthrough. Voting's helpful, but prayer is powerful. We're not at the mercy of the will of the people. We are at the mercy of our Heavenly Father who's given us access to His very throne. What does that mean practically? One, I want you to recognize that prayer was so central to the life of Jesus that of all the things Jesus, Jesus did, his disciples zeroed in on that one and said, please, Lord, teach us to pray. They recognized that was the power source in his life. Are we praying? Secondly, I want us to realize that the early church was devoted. Paul, who wrote the book of, I mean, sorry, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, observing the early church, he said, this is what they were devoted to, prayer. I want to ask you this. If Luke came and uh, watched your life for a little bit, would he write the same things about you? Oh, Scott, that man is devoted to the Word of God. He's devoted to prayer. Or what would they say you are devoted to? Does our life reflect a true devotion to what Jesus was devoted to? And to see from today's scripture that we are urged by the apostle who was led by the Spirit to pray as a first priority, praying for government leaders. Now let's get real for a moment. In Outlook Church, I suppose uh, things have changed a little bit over COVID, but hopefully not too much. We've probably got about 600 adults on our membership basis. 600 adults who'd say, Outlook Church is our home. On a Thursday night, we've got about 40 adults who pray. Now, I, I know some of you can't, some of you are old, some of you work shifts, but... When more people come to the exercise class than the prayer meeting, something is not right. Now remember, I love you dearly, but are we truly taking up our mantle of authority, responsibility, and privilege, or are we being seduced by the busyness, the inconvenience, the ways of the world, and allowing the enemy to actually silence the greatest force here on planet Earth? Amen. I love you, Pastor. 
<laughs> Let's move on to number two very quickly. Before all of those online are like, dialed out, dialed out, dialed out. Let's, uh, you guys are trapped here for another 15 minutes or so. So let me, uh, let me, okay, next one's much easier. Influence number two. Number one, we influence government through prayer. Number two, we influence government through our submission to government. Yikes, I told you this one was the easier one. Now, I want you to think about when the New Testament was written. The Jews in Israel were under persecution. They were under Roman rule who thought nothing of the Jews. Worse still was the Christians who were being persecuted because they believed they had another king and there should be no king but Caesar. And yet they were claiming Jesus as their king. As such, when there was load shedding, no problem. Let's put Christians up on the street poles and burn them alive as street lamps. Let's feed them to the Lions. That's where the Lions matches in the afternoon came from. It wasn't the rugby team. It was the Christians thrown to life. This was the state of government that the early Christians were under. Now, what would you say to Christians living under such a demonically inspired oppressive government? How would you encourage them to react? Well, Paul says to those in Rome, Romans 13.1, he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. doesn't say he established the political parties. He says he established the authority that the political parties are now stewarding or holding, whether they know it or not. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. Now here's the key verse. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Sure whether they know it or not. Have you ever thought about that? Here's my reframing moment. Those people who have authority in our nation to rule, whether they know it or not, actually, they're God's servant for our good. Let that sink in. This is the word of God. Now, let me explain some things. Firstly, sometimes what we think is our good is not God's good for us. Normally when I'm thinking, oh, these servants for my good, I'm straight away, I'm thinking, oh, comfort, ease, economic breakthrough, and sometimes that's not necessarily the good that God is talking about. And I'll take you on a little verse in a moment's time. But the key point here is, Mr. President, Mr. Mayor, whether you understand it or not, actually, you're a servant because you're carrying authority that God has given and you will be answerable for it. In Exodus chapter 14 and verse 4, it said, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did it. Isn't that amazing? Who was in control? Well, Pharaoh was. He was the greatest ruler on the earth. No, he wasn't. God held his heart in his hand. Now, we don't always understand how that works out, but the bottom line is even the highest authorities on earth are under the authority of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, it says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. 
In other words, this was prophesied when the Babylonian kingdom was at its heart. Then the Mirds and the, the Persians and the Medes, sorry, Persians and the Medes, their kingdom arose and people thought this kingdom is unconquerable. It was brought down. Then the Roman Empire rose and they dominated the world and the, the Jews were thinking this kingdom. And yet all of those kingdoms were brought to their knees. But one kingdom still stands strong and is growing and growing and growing. The kingdom of God. I want us to remember, we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So what does that mean? God's idea of good might not necessarily be the same as our idea of good. So when we think he's God's servant for our good, surely that should mean comfort, ease, economic breakthrough. Well, listen to what it says in Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which is better. Verse 11 said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Which is better? Now comfort or eternal reward? And so God who loves you and who wants to reward you for all eternity may allow a government to bring about systems, systems of the world, to show the world the futility of their ways. So who knows? Maybe in the future it will be tougher for churches to meet. Maybe there'll be huge pressure placed upon churches to embrace different forms of sexuality, to embrace different forms of this and that and the mark of this and that. And you know what? Maybe it'll get tough. But you know what? Tough might be for our good. Because don't be seduced into thinking our good just means comfort and convenience. God is saying eternal reward, eternal good. So maybe it might mean we need to toughen up as believers, but hold to this. Whatever government, you think you're in control, you're not. You're a servant for our good. And so our eyes will stay on the Lord, not the political parties. And we say, Lord, we trust in the name of our God. Amen? So, let me just give one more controversial comment just because I'm, I'm just going for it this morning. Why is submission to authority powerful? You see, remember, authority belongs to God. He's given it to governments. When we submit, we come in line with that authority, which releases God's authority here on earth. In other words, our voting is not just with prayer. We're voting on a daily basis by our submission to government. If he causes us to violate the word of God directly, then let's rebel and trust God and take it on the jaw, even if it means going to prison. But if it's not causing us to directly sin, and it's just inconvenient, then we submit to governments because every time we do, it opens the door for his authority. Let me give you an example of this. 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 2 says, Wives, in the same way submit yourself to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word. Okay, let's stop there. That means wives, the Bible calls you to submit to a husband who doesn't believe the word. In other words, he's not Mr. Love, Joy, Peace, Patience, Kindness, Goodness, Helpfulness, and Self-Control. that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. He has a powerful thing the Word of God is teaching us. In other words, submission to authority actually can win over that 
authority. In other words, Christians, we are called to live godly lives because godliness influences authority. Make sense? That's part of our spiritual weapon. That's how we can stand in a democracy, wielding power, not just once a year, not every five years, but on a daily basis. So let me quickly land with the good news. Now, this is an easier one. Number three, third instrument of authority that we have or influence we have over government is trusting God who places the right people in the right place at the right time. Don't you love the fact that our God is omnipotent? He has all power. He's omniscient, means he knows everything. He's never taken by surprise. He knows who's going to win the election. He knows the issues that are coming up. And our God, being omnipotent, can put the right person in the right place to get the ear of the leader at just the right time. Think of Esther. What a story. King wants a new wife, so he just has a beauty pageant, sleep with everyone in the land until he finds the girl that he likes. God uses that demonically inspired idea to bring a Jewish girl to be queen so that at just the right time, when the Jews are about to all be slaughtered, she can come before the king. And if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther was ready. And Esther saved the nation because God had taken an unlikely person in an unlikely situation and brought her to the ear of the king at just the right time. What about Joseph? Sold as a slave, abandoned in prison. One morning, he wakes up in his prison cell as per normal. And yet, God, by his amazing sovereignty... Someone realizes, hey, we need someone to interpret a dream. Let's go and find Joseph, the prisoner. And that evening, he went to sleep in his own palace as the second most powerful person on planet Earth because God had waited for his timing. And he can take a prisoner to be second in command of the, of the nations because he's God. And at that moment, Joseph saved not just the nation, but the nations. What about Moses? What a story. Here's when all these babies are being, uh, were being killed. One baby's saved. One baby's floated out onto the lake. That baby happens to be found by the princess. That baby happens to grow up with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's children. So he spends his life playing with this other little boy. And that other little boy goes on to be Pharaoh. And Moses goes on to be the man who stands one day in front of Pharaoh and says, It's time. God says, Let my people go. What an unlikely way that God could get the right person in the right place at the right time to have the ear of the king. What about Daniel? In exile, in slavery, the king goes looking for some young lads to train them up so that he can understand their culture and train them to be advisors. Daniel's pick, Daniel, this incredible prophet of the Lord, this extraordinary man, while all the advisors are about to be killed because the king realizes they're all talking rubbish, Daniel says, I can help because God will interpret your dream. And Daniel becomes the most trusted advisor in the nation because God's hand is with him. And at just the right time, God had opened the ear of the king. What about Paul? Paul, this this missionary who was going around preaching the gospel, suddenly he has the opportunity from prison, as a prisoner, he gets to speak to the Roman governor, to the king of the land, to share his testimony because God can take prisoners or people from obscurity and open the ear of the king at just the right time. 
Jesus said this, On my account you will be brought before governors and kings, in Matthew 10, 18, as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I want to put trust and faith in our heart. God's got this. God's got this. Lord, we don't just vote every five years. We vote daily. We vote with prayer because as sons of God, you've given us authority to pray for those in authority in our nation. We vote with our lifestyle. Every time we choose to live lives in submission, even if we don't always agree with it, we choose to honor God by submitting to government. It opens the door for his authority, his kingdom to be released here on earth. And we trust, Lord God, you've got the right people. Maybe they're not even in the right party that I voted for. It doesn't matter. Some of you have opportunities to work in government. Take those opportunities, even if it's hard, because God might be preparing you for your moment. Some of you know people who work in government. Let's pray for them. Otherwise, let's just trust. Lord, we know you've got this. We'll pray. We'll trust. And at just the right moment... Will you take the right person out of obscurity and give them the ear of our leaders in Jesus' name? Amen? Church, let's reframe democracy. Yep, let's vote once every five years. Please vote tomorrow. Let's be responsible. The government's called us to vote. But let's not think that that is our only opportunity to carry influence. We do it daily in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes just for a moment. And right where you are, I'm going to just invite you to spend a moment in prayer. You can just mumble a prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. But Father, I pray that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? What adjustment, what repentance, what confession of sin, what new faith do you need to anchor yourself to? Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come and bring about change, life, confession, growth. We want to see the power of the gospel transforming our lives. And Father, I want to thank you that you have definitely not left us as victims at the mercy of political agendas. Father, we want to reframe that thinking today in Jesus' name. We want to break that thinking. We want to confess it as sin, and we want to put our faith and trust in you. We, seated in Christ, are seated way higher than any seat of government. Father, forgive us for not using our place of prominence as much as we could have. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would burden our hearts with grace to pray. I ask, Lord God, that you would help us to see the way we live our lives as an opportunity to release the authority of your kingdom here on earth. And Father, we trust that you will be releasing the right men and right women into the right place of influence to have the ear of governments and rulers at just the right time. Thank you, Jesus. Just while our eyes are closed for a moment, remember, we get to heaven because we know the king. That's it. You don't get to heaven one day because you've tried really hard or gone to church. You get to heaven one day Because you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want to ask you, the Bible, I read that scripture, one day every knee will bow. 
But if you haven't bowed the knee before you die, you're forced to bow the knee and then sent from His presence. If you've chosen to bow your knee while you're still alive, then you're welcomed into His kingdom for eternity. I want to ask you today, friends, have you voluntarily bowed your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Because if you haven't, that's the greatest political decision you'll ever make. Who rules your life? Is it the king of kings or is it the prince of this world that the Bible calls the devil? Because there's only two options. And if you're here today and have never bowed your knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then right now I would encourage you to vote, to open up your heart, to have a political revolution inside of your life, to say no, to repent of sin and being ruled and controlled by sin and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And we would love to pray that prayer with you and start one of these discipleship journeys with you. So we're going to be praying for some folk right here on my right on our red carpet. If you're sick right now, that's not God's plan for your life. And we would love to be praying for you as well. And Father, we just thank you for your amazing goodness, your amazing grace, your incredible love. Pray for our nation tomorrow. Bless this nation, we pray that you, you alone, would receive glory and honor and praise. And thank you, Lord God, that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. And God's people say, may the Lord bless you. We have tea and coffee. We've got our little tithe and offering boxes there by the door if you want to make use of that. God bless you and hope to see you soon. Amen. Amen.